0: strike force energy veteran owned american made and one of the hottest new energy products on the market strike force energy was developed by veterans for one simple reason the fight will always follow you and it waits for no one buck sexton here for strike force and i invite you this summer to join us in giving back to america's troops over the last three years strike force energy has shipped millions of packets to our troops both at home and abroad and now we're bringing this battlefield proven liquid directly to your door Strikeforce Energy Liquid Packs, available in four flavors, have zero sugar, zero calories, and are made with only the finest ingredients. For the fuel to power through your toughest fights, simply add Strike Force to 16 to 20 ounces of water, tea, lemonade, yogurt, even an ice-cold beer. Go to StrikeforceEnergy.com, enter discount code BUCK at checkout, and for every packet you buy, we will donate a packet to military members around the globe. StrikeforceEnergy.com, discount code BUCK, because Strikeforce Energy is the fuel for the fight.
1: You are entering the Freedom Hut.
0: Another day of media meltdown over the possibility that some of their favorite talking heads who are part of the anti-Trump resistance may have their clearances revoked. Why should this be a national crisis? I'll address that. Also, we know that the deep state will continue on no matter what, but what should we take from the investigation as it goes on and the reality and the possibility that there could be a whole lot more, folks? We've got a fantastic show coming up.
1: This, this is the Buck, Buck Sexton, Sexton Show. Where the mission. Our mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence.
2: Russia. One alternate. make no mistake. America. You're a great American again.
1: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck
2: Sexton.
3: It is Buck Sexton. Now White House wanted to target for this punishment of stripping security clearances. This very much looks like an enemies list. People that the president, that the administration uh, feel have been criticizing him unfairly. This is really disturbing. What we're seeing is not surprising because it's the next troubling
2: step on this downward spiral toward weaponizing and politicizing intelligence for political purposes. This is a very dangerous day for American democracy. Uh, This is the move of an autocrat, not an American president. Stripping them of their security clearance. That is not what you see in a democracy. That is exactly
4: what you see in authoritarian regimes.
0: An autocratic kind of move. It's the kind of thing you'd see in a banana republic. I mean, I find it horrifying, obviously. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. No surprises there, my friends. You have uh, people who are completely and utterly devoted to this idea that President Trump is an authoritarian, is a fascist even. They've decided that the President of the United States is not able to exercise Article 2 power without them saying that there's something terrible going on. I have yet to read a legal analysis out there where they say the President does not have the right to take away somebody's security clearance. He is, in fact, the Uh, The super user, the end user, the in a sense, when it comes to classification, the president is, dare I say, the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He gets the final say. The courts have deferred for a long time to the executive branch on issues of clearances. So this is not a civil rights issue. This is not a criminal procedure issue. This is just does the government want to give you a clearance or not? Does the executive branch which has control over secrecy and all related classification protocols. Do they want to give you a clearance or not? And, you know, people are saying, oh, well, it sets a bad precedent. I understand that there is a precedent here that other presidents could use for nefarious purposes. But let's put this into context, shall we? How concerned should we really be that former intel chiefs wouldn't have their clearances anymore? Also, let's keep this. Let's keep it real. The next president, if it were a Democrat or even a Republican that felt differently, could reinstate those clearances or could reinstate the. And this is where you get into And I I don't want to bore you with too much of this, but there's a whole there's eligibility versus access, right? Access is, hey, here, here's classified information. You are allowed to see it. Here it is. You are a government employee that has a need to know. Here's your classified information, right? Eligibility is more, you know, you could get a. You know, you are cleared to work in a place where you can do that. You know, you could show up at a government building if they had a need for you and have access to classified information. Now, that, that comes into play more for people that leave government service. Someone like me, for example. If I left the CIA and I, and I immediately want to go to another agency, you know, what happens with my clearance? But what Trump is talking about and what has now gone in the media, you heard all that. Oh, he's an autocrat. He's terrible. He's the worst. All these, all these bad things. What Trump is talking about are these former senior, I mean, as senior as it gets, right? The DNI, former DNI, Clapper, former CIA director, Brennan, former acting attorney general, Yates. uh, I think Susan Rice was on there too. Uh, You know, he's got a whole list of people that just because of some courtesy or some notion that they are special, they keep not just the eligibility of a clearance, but also, continued access. They can be called, and they call them courtesy briefings. So, if you were the former ci director, they will bring you in for meetings and you can see everything and anything that you, well, that they deem to show you, right? That they deem worthy to show you or necessary to show you. Why is that the case? People say, oh, Buck, all the institutional knowledge. We need the institutional knowledge. See, this is what I have a fun advantage today, folks. I do not know of another radio host anywhere in the country who was once a holder of a top-secret clearance. There probably are a couple. I just I can't think of them. But I, I am not aware of one who ever had a, a top-secret clearance. I did. So I have some sense of what goes on here, not just from reading about it, but from having to deal with it, from knowing it. So that is an advantage that will hopefully uh, give me a little special something during today's discussion of this, because they made this the biggest... This is now... The centerpiece of hashtag resistance this week. Last week it was Trump has destroyed NATO and Helsinki and he's Putin's puppet and all this stuff. Nonsense, but that's what they were saying. This week it's he's a a tyrant and he's creating a police state because he's taking the security. He hasn't even done it. He just brought up the possibility of doing it. I think he's going to. I don't even think he's going to, but honestly, I think he'll probably walk away from this because who really cares? Well hold that thought for a moment who really cares when you have the kind of relationship that former intelligence chiefs have with news uh, organizations today given that those news organizations are in full tilt doing everything in their power to tear down and destroy this presidency i think it's fair to ask some questions how sure are we that these people that have no more actual need of a clearance to do a job because they don't have jobs with the government. How sure are we that they are not abusing or exceeding their mandate in some way? How certain can we be? Senator Rand Paul clearly... It's not sold that this is something we can skip over, that we can assume is not a problem at all. Play clip three, please.
2: I think there's a great danger to having people on television who are speaking off the cuff, who are getting classified information. There's a great danger that they could reveal something that they shouldn't reveal. And so, yes, I think this should apply, really, to most people who are retired.
0: You know, I'm going to say this right now. I um, I don't think that that's... Really, I think that's much less the concern that one should have than that they're intentionally giving information to the media to sink this president. You know, it's one thing if you're a former intel officer, uh, not forget intel officer, former intel chief, and you're going on TV, you know that you're going to be held to account at some level for your words, right? If you start talking about, you know, all of our uh, super secret plans to colonize Jupiter, you might get yourself into some trouble because you know. That's not a good idea. But if you pass information along and it is referenced only as a national security source, you know, with close with uh, close access or who was involved in the matter or whatever. And you are the source for news that damages the administration, you're probably going to get away with that. And I have never seen in, in my lifetime what's going on right now where you have the people that were just in charge of the CIA, just in charge of the director of national intelligence office, who are not just speaking out or writing the occasional editorial. They are in-house talent, essentially, for CNN, for NBC. This, This is the new normal. And I'll tell you, when I first did this, meaning that I made the switch into media, one, it was an accident, and two, it was much less commonplace at the time. There were some other people who were former CIA. There were some other people, former intel. And I always knew that I had to draw a bright red line between my former work and what I could talk about on air and that I would be held to account. And I had no no expectation that uh, I could ever leverage what I only knew because of my time at the CIA for a news story or anything else. Look, I, I was on air. Here's a perfect example. I was on air the night of the Benghazi attack it on on TV, on cable TV that night. Without getting the details, there's a lot of stuff that I, I could have said that night that I did not because I was I had my obligations in the very front of my mind the whole time. And that's still the way that I approach this. But I will say that when you see some of these other folks out there and I mean, I've mentioned Brennan did this in particular, they go, well, you know, they'll ask him, do you think the president, the, the Russians might have something, the president will say, well, I, you know, I. I was the former CIA director, and yes, I do think it is certainly possible. Implying or giving the impression that maybe he does know something because of his time at the agency. That would obviously be highly classified. And he won't say what it is, but it uses it as a kind of, uh, you know, a secret rhetorical weapon against Trump. That is unprecedented. I've never seen this before. I never thought I would see it. And it's all over the place now. In fact, you really... You know, you've got all these intel chiefs. You get the sense that they're just biding their time before they can write books, go to the Aspen Institute, and appear on CNN a lot. That's their—that's now their life's work. That's what they want to do with themselves. There's an even more important layer here, though. So on the, on the one hand, I just find that unseemly, and people say, "Oh, Buck, but you know, whatever." Look, like, it's—it's different when you're when you go in, you work there for a few years, you come out or whatever, ten years, fifteen years, whatever it may be. You come out, in overtime. also, your, your knowledge of any classified fades. So the risks of you even having any crossover in your mind evaporate within a matter of years to almost nothing. That's why to go right away from being CIA director out into the public sphere, that's really aggressive. To go right away from being FBI director to being a, a hyper-partisan political actor is damaging, is damaging, dare I say, to our institutions and to our sense that we can trust these organizations. And then there's the specifics of this moment in time, this case that we are dealing with here. Not only do we have these individuals who still hold their clearances and and have access if they want it or if they're called upon for their insights or whatever, as if we really need, like, James Comey to wax philosophical for us, but these are not just individuals who have become very partisan. They are out there shaping public opinion on a scandal that a number of them have their fingerprints all over from their time in government. So you have Clapper and Brennan and Comey and others who are appearing on TV. Leveraging the gravitas that they have because of their most recent title and also the perception that they must know everything that's going on and everything that's so, you know, when you have the most recent CIA director accusing the sitting president of treason, that's really damaging because the public's mind set on this issue is going to be, well, he's a CIA. He must know something we don't know. That's the whole game they're playing. That's what they're up to. And Trump knows it and he's sick of it. They were not only making this case publicly, but they were involved in the construction of this narrative from inside of government. They're coming at it from both sides. They are all in on tearing down this president. So people are really going to tell me that the current commander in chief has no prerogative to say I'm going to put an end to this or at least I'm going to send a message. I'm going to send a message by doing what I am constitutionally empowered to do. Trump's not saying they can't speak. this is what people say oh it's silencing no 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 he's not saying they can't criticize him he's just saying they don't get to criticize him and maintain their access that they only have because they were political appointees of the previous administration in some cases and in others you say well buck they're life they're you know lifetime civil servants well actually they were leftists the whole time we've just now seen them for who they really are and all that stuff about you know mission first and honor and duty and Somehow in the era of Trump, none of that matters. It stopped Trump at all costs. To give us Hillary? Hello? Are these people really serious? You know, I have to deal with Sancta and all the sanctimony from the rest of them, Clapper and Brennan, because Hillary would have been our great ethical choice, the champion of this country and the, and the national security sage that we also desperately need. These people are unserious, but they're also dangerous. And I'm glad that the president is willing to ruffle some feathers, and then some. And I'm glad that he is uh, making an issue of this, because you know it is disingenuous to say that the media have not. But these guys aren't. Clapper is terrible on TV. I mean, he's, uh, gurgling with Gergen is more articulate. Clapper is terrible. Why is he on TV? Well, he's the director of national intelligence. He saw everything. Decades of government service. So when he says that the president is basically destroying the country and a traitor, he must know something we don't know. That's why these guys are also valuable to these networks. That's why they've got, I'm sure, big contracts as contributors. And it's wrong. It's wrong. Remember Bush for all the bad stuff about the Bush administration and the stuff that I would have changed. He didn't, you know, he didn't take cheap shots at the Obama administration because he thought that there was just that was just dishonorable. Forget about obama taking cheap shots of the administration you got the whole former government national security apparatus taking cheap shots of the trump administration it's appalling it's appalling 844 2825 844 buck we have a fantastic show so much more coming your way stay with me
3: which, by the way, I hope Democrats do run a Democratic Socialist. Do you hope that best. we
1: win? Do you want uh, the Democrats No, because I be think Trump? you'll lose
3: spectacularly, and then I will look forward to election night when I finally get to tell everybody I told you so, if you end up running a radical. Problem with socialism, in the words of Margaret Thatcher, at a certain point you run out of spending other people's money. Venezuela, one of the richest countries <laughs> in the world in the 70s. Now the average Venezuelan has lost 24 pounds because they're starving to death. Name one country that socialism has ever worked, and also every, every Democratic Socialist Copenhague, who is going um, on TV Denmark. saying that it's good needs Norway. to start paying 90 percent in taxes Iceland. i think you should start paying the amount of taxes that every socialist in this country thinks you need to because if you think the government is so good at okay. spending money look at the VA. No, because it is dangerous i just dangerous. Told you several-
0: i like it megan uh, megan mccain over there fired up on the view dropping dropping bombs on socialism i like it i gotta say good job megan uh, this is also a, a moment where we're having a lot of talk about radicals on the left because, you know, you've got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the new darling of the progressive wing of the Democrat Party. And my old uh, blaze colleague, Ali, uh, Ali Beth Stuckey, has made a video. Of and look, it's it's a it's a satire, right? She clearly cut up an interview and pretends to interview her. It's just like it's what The Daily Show did for years. And Ali put this video up. uh, It's a CRTV video on Facebook. It's gotten over a million views. And you've got left-wing politicians and journalists freaking out about the satire video. They are are either humorless or they're idiots. They're saying that it should be taken down or that it's unfair. You know, here you go. Shane Goldmacher this faked interview of Ocasio by CRTV has nearly one... It, interview didn't happen. It takes clips from Margaret Hoover's show and edits in faux questions. Not labeled as satire. Well, it's obviously satire, dude. It's not... It's not being... They're not in the same room. And then, and then Ocasio-Cortez weighs in, too. Republicans are so scared of me that they're faking videos and presenting them as real on Facebook because they can't deal with reality anymore. Here's one bona fide truth. Election day is November 6th. Oh, no, no, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez. We can deal with reality. People that are still clinging to the notion that socialism is going to be a better pathway for this country than the capitalism that has created unprecedented and and almost unbelievable wealth and prosperity. Uh, Those are the people that I think have a reality problem. I want more of this, though. I want more humorless left-wing Democrats coming forward. To advocate for why we should have socialism. By the way, remember, I've told you, they point to Norway, they point to Sweden, they point to these countries. All right, the middle class pays massive taxes in those countries. The middle class is carrying the burden of the welfare state that they have in those countries. And by the way, they're not sustainable.
1: He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back.
0: All right, we got some calls coming in on the lines. Dr. Rick in Maryland with another diagnosis of America. Dr. Rick, how you doing? Oh, it's, it's a pretty grim prognosis for the short
5: term, uh, at least a mainstream media. I'm doing good. Hey, um, I wanted to ask you a question. You know, uh, I keep waiting for the tipping point on this thing where the evidence mounts and mounts that, that the FISA uh, warrant was completely un- unwarranted and that this is just a witch hunt, but it's not happening yet. And they're even double tripling down. Um, and I was wondering your thoughts of, you know, when, when is it going to flip? Because when it does, I think people are going to be really upset at the mainstream media and how, you know, they weren't getting the, the proper information.
0: Now, I would, I would say this, there, there are, uh, Dr. Rick, there are multiple answers to your question. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure here, right? So let's assume, let's assume that the Democrats take the House, in which I know, terrible, but let's assume that that happens. Then I think we never get any answers, because they will prevent any serious investigation in the House from going on, and we will switch into impeachment mode very quickly. And they'll there'll be all kinds of just grandstanding and and nonsense, just lots of nonsense, because they're not going to remove Trump from office because they're not going to take the Senate. and They're not going to have two thirds in the Senate, even if they did take the Senate. But there'll be a lot of a lot of political grandstanding and just wasted time on how, you know, Trump should be impeached. Why should he be impeached? They're not even just because, you know, not because of Russia collusion. They can't prove that. That's not why they'll have some other make believe reason why. So but let's assume that that doesn't happen. Uh, At what point do we have a real turning point with the media where they no longer will be able to claim that there is any possibility of uh, this whole Russia collusion farce being on the up and up? That's a good question. I think they're going to be dead enders on this one because they there's no way they can admit they were wrong on this without permanently and forever damaging whatever credibility they have left with people who aren't just complete progressive bots, you know, who who don't just buy it all hook, line, and sinker. So I think it's uh hmm I'm trying to think of what, what it would take for them to finally agree. Because the Mueller probe is, I've already I've said this all along. When Mueller doesn't have any Russia collusion charges, Dr. Rick, you know what they're gonna say? Well he just didn't find them. Because of all of Trump's obstruction. Right. He just didn't find them because of all the oh. you know payoffs from Putin to whomever. I mean they'll make something up. Well, my hope is in science,
5: is, is, uh, there's this theory that science doesn't change in a nice, neat upward way. It's by revolution, Kuhn's theory of revolutions in science. And I'm hoping the same thing here, that that that, and maybe we're seeing it in this hashtag walkaway movement, which I think is a reality. I think that the reasoned people are looking at this insanity and just leaving. I think that's why ratings I see like in that is in the basement. So maybe they maybe they'll become irrelevant, and the, the populace will move past the uh, mouthpieces. My hope.
0: Well, Doctor Rick, I, I I'm hoping with you. Thank you so much for calling in. Good to talk to you as as always. Uh, so let's talk about the Justice Department for a second. Jeff Sessions, who is my favorite cabinet official, because occasionally he just pops in. He's just like, I want to hang out in the Freedom Hut, and he shows up, and I'm like, Jeff, buddy. What's going on, my friends? Good to talk to you. And he's like, he's like, Buck, your radio show is the best radio show in the country. I'm like, I know it is, Jeff. Or Mr. Attorney General. I know it is. But thank you so much for, for your kind words in, in this imaginary conversation we're having. But Jeff actually showed up today to speak to a, a Turning Point USA uh, rally or a, a conference, whatever whatever the specific designation is, here in D.C., And there was a moment that, ooh, this got the attention of some of the liberal journos out there. Play it. Lock her up. (laughs) Lock her up, they say. Uh, Lock her up. Talking about Hillary Clinton. And I know a lot of you are chanting along with them, and that's cool. That's fine. But Jeff didn't really chant with them. All right, the attorney general just kind of like kind of chuckled at you know anyone listening to that clip. If you watch it, it's even more clear. He's just kind of like, oh gosh, they're saying you know he's like, oh lock her up. I see what you guys are saying. You know, it, it took him a second to process what the chant was, and that's all he said. But they reported this as, oh my gosh, he joined laugh as he joined chance of lock her up that's what's being reported all over the place oh the chief law enforcement officer joined as he as he uh was laughing over look i mean it's you know it's a little funny no one's locking hillary up you'll notice that jeff sessions could restart the whole probe into into hillary's emails i mean they they could go back to that if they really wanted to they could reopen it just because there was a decision made previously not to press charges it does not mean another administration can't can't come along and say you know what we're actually gonna obama thought about doing that with so-called torture or enhanced interrogation with intelligence officers obama thought about that remember bush was of course not going to do it but then obama was putting it out there he decided not to but the argument at the time wasn't obama can't it's that he shouldn't so i would just note that hillary clinton is in no jeopardy of even being uh, investigated again by the DOJ for all the things that happened, for all the stuff that went on there. And then I think about this one. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't often get as, as clear a picture of how, how the left is uh, deluded when it comes to the way they report on things in this, but this was from CNN Politics, just as I was on air here. They're writing a story on how the Justice Department instructs U.S. Attorney's Offices not to use the term undocumented immigrants, and instead refer to somebody illegally in the U.S. as an illegal alien. Uh, Okay, how is this controversial? How many times do I have to explain this to the left? Illegal alien is the actual term under federal law. And we're talking about the Justice Department here, which is supposed to care about federal law not supposed to care about what the latest social justice warriors have to say about this or what the no 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 it's supposed to be what is the law and how do we enforce it uh and you know i i I gotta tell you i think there's a willful ignorance here from the media on on this one because this is so easy this isn't even really a discussion to be had what what, they want the the justice department to start referring to them as undocumented immigrants just because they, just because the media has decided to do that, they really think that that's how this works? Unfortunately, I think the answer is yes. They, they do believe that that is how this works. Uh, but, you know, I, I think this is a much, this is a much more important uh, story. This is a much bigger story about what's going on, which is that there are a lot of people out there who are journalists here in the swamp with me. I'm in the swamp, man. Let me tell you, it is swampy. It is. The, the closer you are to all this stuff, New York feels very unswampy by comparison because you don't have all the, you know, the, I, I walk down the street, I walk past the Washington Post offices, I see journalists all the time. I was on a train today, I saw a guy from Axios, I see people from Politico, I walk down the street. You know, everywhere you go, you get journalists everywhere. It's like journalists and politicians run the city, and they, and they do. Um, but the fact that they are reporting on this is it's even a story. Here's a headline for you, folks. Justice Department thinks the law is the words written on the page that are the law. Whoa, that's crazy. Well, for Some of these folks, I guess it is is—it is crazy to, to them. Uh, by the way, we're going to talk about the status of the global jihad, because I think that's kind of slipped from most people's consciousness these days. We'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. We also have Sean Davis joining from The Federalist. He will be Dropping truth bombs like it's going out of style. So that'll be coming up here, too. The Federalist.com has so much great stuff that they're writing these days. Uh, and then the third hour, uh, if you stick around, which you obviously should, we'll talk about all kinds of fun stuff, including paying for college by a revenue share program of your salary. Oh, yeah. That and more coming up.
5: that perpetuate unfair trade practices, I think there are better tools to use to get them to play fairly. So I just don't think the tariff route is the smart way to go. I understand the president's plan, I understand what he's trying to do, and, I and the goal he's trying to achieve is a good one. A better deal for Americans, better trade agreements. I just don't think tariffs are the way to go, and our members are making that, that pretty
1: clear.
2: The Chinese are convinced that they can cause enough pain to the American farmer that the Trump administration will blink. The Trump administration sent an important signal today with Secretary Perdue's announcement that we're not going to back down. And frankly, I mean, if you look at the total behavior of the Chinese since 1991, it is an absurdity to allow it to continue. But when you start to change it, they're going to fight it. I don't look. They've had a great deal. They have ripped us off every single year. They have stolen our intellectual properties. Uh, they've rigged the game. Uh, And, of course, they don't want it to change. But I think President Trump is right. And we had better figure out how to engage in this kind of a fight and win it. Making tremendous progress. They're all coming. They don't want to have those tariffs put on them. They're all coming to see us. And the farmers will be the biggest beneficiary. Watch. We're opening up markets. You watch what's going to happen. Just be a little patient. They're all aiming at anybody that likes me. And they
0: have lobbyists like nobody's ever seen, fighting to win. That's what Trump is doing here on tariffs, folks. This is important. This is important to all of us that you you see how this is playing out and you get the honest, the honest scoop, if you will, on what's really going on when it comes to this tariff fight. Okay, here here's the, just a quick update from from today. The Trump administration, according to the New York Times, here announced up to $12 billion in emergency relief for farmers hurt by the president's trade war moving to insulate food producers from looming financial losses. That could be a direct result of Trump's policies. The aid to farmers announced by the United States department of agriculture will come through a direct assistance program, one designed to help with food purchase and distribution and one specifically geared toward promoting trade. So, you got the president saying, all right, look, if you're going to if they're going to allow this to go forward. Right. If these countries won't pull down their trade barriers, China is. Well, can't we see what's happening here? China's specifically targeting parts of the country with its retaliatory measures on our retaliatory measures, because that's what our tariffs are. Our tariffs are in retaliation. This is not a fight that we really started, and that's an improper framing of it in the discussion. We are saying to other countries, if you're going to have this tariff, we're going to have that tariff. If you're going to do this, we will respond. And then, you know, it goes back and forth. People say, well, Buck, that's a trade war. Well, yeah, but right now it's just a one way trade war. Right now it's just China does whatever they want and we say, oh, OK, China, that's fine. No big problem there. Now, Trump tweeted out today that tariffs are the greatest. Either a country which has treated the United States unfairly on trade and negotiates a fair deal or it gets hit with tariffs. It's as simple as that, and everybody's talking. Remember, we are the piggy bank that's being robbed. All will be great. The president's ready to fight this one. And he knows it's a risk, folks. Any negotiation comes with the possibility of failure. Otherwise, it's not a negotiation. Any negotiation could go badly. Negotiation is is a performance in and of itself. And the fact that the president isn't backing off this and is trying to take measures to make sure that our farmers aren't just bearing the whole brunt of this because the Chinese are doing it hoping that we're going to fold quickly. They're hoping that the response from the administration is going to be okay. We got the midterms coming up. The they're going after states where, you know, there's some real toss-ups and some close races. So why don't we just forget about this whole thing and let the Chinese continue to do what they're doing? Well, the, the response to that is what you're getting from this team, from Trump and his people, is no. That's not going to happen. And, and I'm sorry, but, you know, Larry Kudlow and Trump and the people that are pushing this the hardest on the world stage, they know that if this doesn't work out, they know that if the economy tanks and we end up getting the uh, the worse end of this whole situation and dealing with these countries on trade, they're going to be judged for it. And there will be consequences at the ballot box. I'm I'm hoping that there would be consequences. You know, I'm not saying Trump is going to win this. It could go wrong. By the way, what's with Paul Ryan? Well, why is he always out there, you know? You know, you just don't have this with Democrats. You never had Nancy Pelosi. Hey, yeah, I talked to you on the radio show. You never had Nancy Pelosi during Obama's first two years in office going out and just publicly and completely undercutting him on a policy issue you just didn't have it i mean maybe i'm forgetting something but you just it wasn't there democrats have discipline maybe because they're obsessed with power and exercising state power and so at least they can all agree on that but democrats have discipline on these issues you know republicans we've always got to watch what's happening on our own side and we've always got to watch our flank for the next republican turn code to go oh you know i don't want to I don't know if I want to go along with that one. Uh, Paul Ryan, I swear. He's he's not he's not helping our team, that's for sure. It doesn't it doesn't make our lives any easier with this stuff. But you know, I suppose this is this is what we should just expect now that you're gonna have Republicans who are running for cover, don't want to be associated with this, want to stick to the consensus. I just come back to this. The consensus is apparently other countries can have whatever tariffs they want on U.S. products, and we will not put those tariffs on their products coming into this country, and that's the way that it's going to be. That That's the consensus. And China can get away with all of its manipulative practices and all of its predatory mercantilist actions around the globe, and we're just going to say, you know what? Let's not rock the boat. Well, Trump is saying, let's rock the boat. And if that has some effect on the EU and Canada and Mexico as well, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. But you know the market's Folks, you know, money, money talks and the markets are not really spooked by this. The markets seem to understand what's going on here. Maybe they've priced in the risk at some level, but they're not nearly as concerned about this as as much of the media wants to pretend that they are. So, you know, we'll see how this we, we will see how this plays out. There's just like with North Korea, just like with so many different things that so many different initiatives that the Trump administration has underway. We we are being told to judge these things before we actually have the results of it. We're being told to judge it before we know if, in fact, it was a success. And that's just a reflection of the fact that people in the media hate this president. I mean, they just hate him. They just hate him. That's why he doesn't get the credit... Really, from the media when North Korea starts dismantling an ICBM facility. That's right, intercontinental ballistic missile. That that was reported today. You know, they don't really focus on that. Last week, it was North Korea's already a failure. The deal's already a failure. This week, it's okay. Well, maybe it's not a failure, but let's not talk about it. Like This is that's why nobody trusts him. But, you know, the good thing is Trump's a fighter on this one. We'll talk about how he fights against the mainstream media when we come back. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest-growing crimes. Brace yourself, because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Look, the folks at Home Title Lock, make sure that this isn't a concern that you're going to have to have, right? But I've seen, if you don't have Home Title Lock, how easy it is to transfer your home's title to a thief. They can forge your signature, they can get all the information online, And it is such a straightforward process. I've seen a demo where they've done it, folks. If you don't think it can happen to you, I'm telling you, it is shocking. The steps that they have to go through are not difficult at all. Protect yourself. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's... HomeTitleLock.com.
1: Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news. And disseminating information. With actionable intelligence. Russian. One
2: small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American again.
1: This is the Buck Sexton Show.
2: Activate. Former CIA
1: analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
2: It is Buck Sexton. Now. But it's all working out. And just remember... What you're seeing and what you're reading is not what's happening. And I'll tell you, I have so many people that are so in favor because we have to make our country truly great again. Remember, make America great again. And then in two and a half years, it's called keep America great. So the way we keep America great is to make at least reasonable. I'm not saying at least reasonable, at least fair trade deals, not stupid trade deals like we've put up with for 25 years. So we're changing it and we're changing it rapidly.
3: The thing that feels new after Helsinki is that the countries shook up. And freaked out about it there is something about him doing that in to putin's face yeah. rather than presumably just on his bat phone with him or however it is that they yeah. keep in constant phone communication which is what we hear from the russian side did the president get help from russia to win his election yes he did is our president subordinate to a foreign power yeah. does our president answer to a foreign government and a foreign leader The worst case scenario that the president is a foreign agent uh, suddenly feels very palpable. You don't need a pay me back, pay me back, pay me back transactional um, interaction in order to 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 live as a compromised person and betray your country in that way.
0: Welcome back to the Buck Sexton show. I I want to really give you a compare and contrast there for a moment. You know, you have the president of the United States, who is who is just straight up warning people what you're seeing on the news is not what's happening. Don't trust them. They don't have your best interests at heart. They are pushing an agenda and being dishonest about it. And then you have, you know, Maddow who's saying that the the president of the United States is a foreign agent. Think about the disparity here. You have a president whose entire campaign time in office is defined by really a kind of super patriotism. A president who, if nothing else... Anyone who's around him, for whatever flaws he may have, he's not perfect. I don't pretend he's perfect. You know he's not perfect. But he definitely loves this country. But the left-wing media, that was Maddow there, who's getting millions of viewers a night, folks. I mean, you know, finally, you know, MSNBC is catching, catching up on some nights to, to Fox after so many years of just getting completely schooled in the ratings. But you have people that are watching, as she says that the president of the United States may in fact be an agent of a foreign power, which is another way of saying a traitor. They're calling this president on cable news a traitor without evidence and without any reason or sanity behind this, but they keep doing it. You know, this is what our president sounds like when he's talking about America. This is the president that the the, the left wing is calling this guy uh, a turncoat, guilty of treason, and a traitor. Play 10 10 and 11. For more than a century, the VFW has
2: represented American heroes who promoted American values and they did so with honor. You are the universal symbol of the patriotic pride that beats loudly in every single American heart. We don't apologize for America anymore. We stand up for America. We stand up for the patriots who defend America. We remember Washington's advice that the best way to preserve the peace is to be prepared for war. And that is exactly what we do all the time. My thinking is always on military and military strength. That is why I'm proud to report that we are now undertaking the greatest rebuilding of our United States military in its history. We have secured $700 billion for defense this year and $716 billion
0: next year approved. That's the guy they say Can't be trusted. That's the person who's unfit to be commander in chief. You know, you saw in that room today, speaking to the veterans of foreign wars, and you saw the way that veterans look at him, the way that our active duty military responds to him. They know. They're the ones putting their lives in line for this country day in and day out. They they know what this president thinks when it comes to them. No doubts. And yet the media calls him a traitor, a puppet of Putin doing their bidding. This is so far from reality that I I really do worry, as I've said to you so many times now, but that there's been some kind of a break from reality that that the the Democrat Party and the left in this country is having something of a nervous breakdown collectively. They're having a collective nervous breakdown because you can't make sense of this otherwise. This is the president that they say is, is not a patriot. This president's all about patriotism. You know, this is the one that they say is doing Russia's bidding. How? By building up our military? By having more aggressive policies towards Russia than any of of his uh, predecessors? That's the way that he's doing Putin's work for him? You know, I, I really do believe these are not serious people in the sense that they should not be taken seriously, but we have to take the threat of their lies and of their undermining of the administration seriously because they're very powerful still. They get away with this kind of stuff all the time, you know, and, you know, that's why having a president who will just say, you know what, enough is enough. And I'm not going to stand for this anymore. I I keep saying I remember what it was like during the eight years, of the Bush administration. It was like watching your little brother get get wedgies all the time, and you weren't able to help him. You know, it just stunk. Bush was getting pummeled in the media and just took it, and just took it. Oh, yeah, well, at least Bush was a gentleman, they'd say now. Yeah, Bush just got rolled. They went after him with everything that they had. They tried to throw his vice president in prison on some BS charge. Scooter Libby got the brunt of that one, unfortunately. But, you know, the whole thing, okay, that's how they were playing the game. And, and, and Bush was like, well, you know, I just don't want to be a you know a bad guy. You know, we were in two wars abroad, but Bush didn't realize we were in a political street fight here at home. Trump knows that. He knows what he's up against. Play 16. Just stick with us. Don't believe
2: the crap you see from these people. The fake news. I mean, I saw a piece on NBC today, NBC, not just CNN, CNN's the worst. But I saw a piece on NBC. It was heart throbbing. They were interviewing people. They probably go through 20 and then they pick the one that sounds like the worst. But they went through a group of people. In fact, I wanted to say, I got to do something about this Trump. (laughs) Terrible.
0: You know, he's got a tremendous command of the room and he understands he understands his people. He understands his base, his voters. And the fact that he will just say it. I mean, CNN, they are the most smug, disingenuous bunch. I'm talking about the T V. Look, there's good people at all these different organizations, right? There's nice people working off camera. There's nice people who are correspondents you wouldn't remember, have never heard of before, right? This is a tough business. People take jobs where they can. I'm talking about the big wigs. I'm talking about the people over there. That are multimillionaires, that are somewhat household names, and they're pushing along with the network execs an agenda that's dishonest. Up until now, we've had all Republican presidents say, "Well, the main, you know—the media is kind of biased, but you know, we're hoping we'll work with them more." Uh, up until now, you would see that presidents would just take this on the chin and then hope that their goodwill to the other side would be reciprocated. It never is. It's so refreshing to have a president who rolls up his sleeve and says, OK, you want to do this? You want to scrap? Let's scrap. You want to play dirty? Let's play dirty. And that's what I think is one of the one of the truly great things about this administration is that we don't have to just sit around anymore and just take it. Just take it. Just deal with it. Um, and that's why they're freaking out so much. And that's why you get mad going on her show saying he's an agent of Russia, an agent of Russia. In what universe, if, if Trump had, if the Russians had something on Trump that could really bring him down, he's going to run for president? Why? He's a billionaire. None of this makes sense, folks. You don't even have to get into the FISA and the Nunes and all. We'll do that, too. But you don't even have to do that. It just doesn't make any sense. The motives don't add up. The storyline doesn't hold together. Because ultimately, the real storyline here is and always has been. That Hillary was supposed to win that election. Hillary was supposed to be in power, giving liberals what they want, reaffirming their worldview. CNN, MSNBC and the other broadcast networks were going to have all kinds of access. And they'd have this pinnacle moment in their careers where they'd be all cozy with Hillary's White House for eight years. And that was stripped from them, they feel. And whether they have to pretend it's unfair or really believe it's unfair, that's what they're going to do. That the election was unfair. That's what they're going to say pretty pathetic but it's also dangerous for this country uh we're going to talk about jihad in a moment what's happening to the global jihad right now you don't hear about it very much anymore we'll discuss that with uh an expert so stay right there i'm sure we have some hr specialists listening people who are property owners those who are either hiring or thinking about leasing out a property that they have to somebody you know what you got to do a background check and you better trust whoever's doing that check for you and know that if there's anything that comes up You're going to get somebody on the phone who will handle the problem with care. That's what Global Verification does. Global Verification is the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They are headquartered in Chicago with offices across the nation. All the work is done here. It is never offshore. So for the business owners or people that are in the HR departments of business listening to this, I'm telling you, give Global Verification a shot they will be your background investigation and vetting company. Go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com or call 877 695 1179, 877 695 Global Verification Network. happened in the uh, global jihad, everybody. I, I was talking about this yesterday. The During the Obama administration, you will recall, there was a period where we had a, a major attack. It felt like every month for over a year. I mean, there were just mass casualty terror attacks in Europe and, and here at home. ISIS-inspired, ISIS-directed, remote-control plots. It's died down so much. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering why that is. We have somebody who can help address that question a whole lot more joining us right now. Robert Spencer is with us. He is the director of of jihad watch he has a new book out as well the history of jihad uh robert thanks for making the time for us
4: great to be here buck thank you
0: well let me ask you that question first before we get into the history let's talk about the the present of jihad if you will Uh, are things right now isis is not entirely defeated or eradicated but it certainly is a, a shadow of what it formerly was uh, is the Trump administration taking the fight to, to the jihadists in a way that's quieted them down, or should we are, are we getting ahead of ourselves? What do you make of the, the current situation?
4: Oh, this is very much the Trump effect, and it shows that jihadis understand strength and they understand weakness, and that's really the only calculus that they deal with non-Muslims upon. And so they looked at Obama and all his goodwill gestures to the Muslim Brotherhood and to Iran and aiding jihad forces in Syria against Assad, uh, and they thought he was weak, and they took advantage. And so the jihad was advancing. They see Trump, they see that he is strong, and that's why it's been a bit in abeyance since he's become president. But as I show in the book, this is a 1,400-year-old struggle as far as they're concerned. It has ebbs and flows, it has periods of activity and periods of relatively less activity, but it never goes away because it is based on fundamental Islamic doctrines.
0: Do you get into, or or could you at least just tell us now, uh, what what you make of this ongoing discussion and debate about how jihad has no military meaning? I I know you've heard this, Robert. I've heard this, too. I've heard this in my prior life as a counterterrorism analyst. I hear this all the time. No military meaning. It just means striving. What do you make of it?
4: Well, it does mean striving or struggle in Arabic. And it's true that, you know, you, you can have struggles or strivings that are great and some that are trivial. You can, try to, you can struggle or strive to quit smoking, and you can struggle or strive to defend your civilization. It's the same word in Arabic, jihad, and it also has that same kind of shade of meaning. But there is no denying that the primary meaning of jihad in Islamic law and Islamic theology is warfare against unbelievers to establish the rule of Islamic law over them and render them second class, discriminated against on an institutionalized basis. And what I show in the book is that this is not just some small group's idea or some idea that Al-Qaeda invented or some reaction to the United States foreign policy or reaction to the establishment of Israel or any of these fashionable explanations, but this is something that goes all the way back to the beginning of Islam, 1,400 years, and has been a constant warfare around the world, everywhere Muslims have gone, where there are non-Muslims.
0: We're speaking to Robert Spencer, who's got a new book out, The History of Jihad. Uh, Robert, if you had to pick a place right now that we should be watching perhaps more than we are, where jihad uh, could become a, a major problem, not just for that country or the region, but perhaps a, a global threat, as we have seen with Afghanistan, with Syria, with with Iraq, with you know, Egypt I mean, all these different countries around the world. But if there was one place that you were saying, keep your eye on this one, things could go bad there. Is, is there one that comes to mind?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Jordan is the one that immediately leaps to mind. Most people uh, think of it, they think it's a moderate Muslim country, we've got this king who's on our side, and that's the end of the story. But actually, uh, ISIS, the Islamic State, has considerable support in Jordan, even now. Uh, and the president, you may recall, not the president, I'm sorry, the king a few years back, you may recall, after the Jordanian pile Pilot was burnt alive by ISIS on a video that they circulated around the world. The king of uh, King Abdullah of Jordan actually vowed to take the fight to them, but he never actually followed up. And he did not follow up because of the significant support that ISIS enjoys in Jordan. That that country is a tinderbox that could very easily be destabilized. The king overthrown right now. Saudi Arabia is facing the same threat. That's one of the reasons why they are modernizing, letting women drive, all these things, trying to let steam off some of the reform pushes in that country, and also to gain international support against Iran, which is a very serious threat for Saudi Arabia, with Shiites all across the eastern seaboard of Saudi Arabia, right near Iran. And that's where the oil fields are. And so you're talking about uh, if if Jordan goes, Saudi Arabia could go, or vice versa, and uh, the whole area could be engulfed in a large-scale war. Very
0: easily. What do you what, what should we know? What should we be thinking about with regard to Iranian jihad at this point? We, we know people always talk about Iran as a as a hardline reactionary Islamist regime, which which it clearly is. But I think in the, in the popular conception, jihad is thought of more with Sunni jihadist groups like al-Qaeda and the Islamic State and others. But the Iranians don't just want to have jihad. At, they don't just want to have radicalism at home. They want to export it abroad as well.
4: Yes, that's right. And uh, that's why Iran has a significant part of the last part of this book, because uh, they are pursuing jihad purposes, jihad goals around the world. They don't do, you're right, they don't have, uh, with the exception of Hezbollah, the Shiite jihad group in Lebanon, they don't go in for terror groups like al-Qaeda and uh, the Taliban and so on, although they actually do support them because Iran is trying to position itself, even though it's Shiite, and the Shiites are a small minority among Muslims worldwide, Iran's trying to position itself as the leader of the entire Islamic world. So they fund Sunni Islamic terror groups like Hamas, al-Qaeda, the uh, Taliban, and more. Uh, And they are also pursuing a geopolitical strategy of destabilization of the West. For example, There is a communist party in Spain that is funded by the Iranian regime, and it has nothing to do with Islam, but the Iranians are calculating that if they can destabilize the government in Spain and destabilize the uh, uh, governments in general around the West, then they can help to advance their own agenda. One of the other examples of this is that Hezbollah, their wholly owned and operated subsidiary, is operating in northern Mexico with the drug cartels. Obviously, that's not the, perp, the end goal of being there. They're ultimately working toward getting here.
0: If you want more details on this, folks, if you want to know more about what we're talking about, you can get the book, History of Jihad, by Robert Spencer, who's with us now. He's the director of Jihad Watch. Robert, thank you so much for making the time. Good luck with the book and come back on the show soon
4: thanks buck always a pleasure call me
0: anytime all right team 844-900-2825-844-900 buck we have so much more coming
1: he's back with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth the buck never stops Brennan leaked the information
6: to uh, Harry Reid. Uh, Rice goes on TV after Benghazi and lies on five different networks about the cause, the catalyst of the, the attack in Benghazi. Clapper lied under oath. Uh, Comey leaked information through a friend to create momentum for a special counsel. McCabe lied three times under oath, faces a criminal referral. And we know Peter Strzok isn't telling the truth because he couldn't even admit that there was bias in his statements to in his text messages to Lisa Page in the committee hearing two weeks ago. So the president is fighting back just like he should. Um, And what we also know is this past weekend, everything that we saw in this in this FISA application confirms what we've all been saying for
1: seven months. You have to really desperately try to put the words together the way that they did instead of just having a simple definition, which could have been candidate to hired, hired uh, fusion GPS Right. Or U.S. person one to, to hire source one to go get the information. That was really simple to, to explain. The courts would have understood it easily. And I think the courts would have, at that point, well, they should have rejected. I'm not sure they would have, but they should have. I don't blame the judges. I think the judges were misled.
0: Well, what really happened here? I want to bring on somebody who has a, a very, well-informed point of view on this. He reads through all the stuff, and he's fierce on Twitter. We've got Sean Davis with us, co-founder of The Federalist. Check out his latest at thefederalist.com. Sean, good to have you back. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. So, so you actually have to deal with the, with the Twitter rage mobs coming after you for saying things like, okay, so this FISA... Well, what, what do you think the FISA information that came out over the weekend tells us?
6: Uh, it tells us that uh, DOJ and FBI... Willfully, deliberately misled the FISA court. They lied to it. They claimed that an article that had been sourced directly to Steele um, not only corroborated Steele, this circular reasoning, but that Steele wasn't the source of it. They deliberately withheld material facts from the court, like the the fact that the DNC and the Hillary campaign uh, funded Fusion GPS, which had hired the source one. They um, – the the FISA application, for anyone who has followed the story, uh, corroborated, confirmed, and backed up everything that people like Nunes and Jim Jordan uh, and people uh, like us at the Federals who have actually read the documents knew from the beginning was that the Russian collusion investigation from the very beginning was a set-up job started by uh, – spurred by false information put together by a Hillary Clinton campaign contractor.
0: And I'm seeing a return of the, oh, no, it wasn't Carter Page. It was Papadopoulos that got this whole thing started. And I keep coming back to if if they can open up a FISA or, or, or a, a surveillance operation of any kind, quite honestly, never mind FISA, uh, because of what they had on Papadopoulos, there's no such thing as a Fourth Amendment anymore because the FBI can just be like, yeah, we heard you talking about a thing. and We want to know more. So we're just going to mic you up. I mean, it's Sean. It's crazy.
6: No, it is. And if you actually listen to the words of the people involved in the alleged Papadopoulos meeting, which gave rise to the investigation their rationale makes no sense um we were told that it was a meeting between alexander uh, downer and george papadopoulos in which uh hillary's emails being offered by the russians were explicitly mentioned and then too late two months later alexander downer brings that to the attention of the fbi and then they immediately spring into action and uh, they start this investigation but even downer who is allegedly the guy who started this whole thing by having his conversation with papadopoulos says that conversation didn't even happen that way, that emails never even came up. So when you have the guy whose information was allegedly used to start the investigation saying, no, I never actually said that stuff, and when you combine that with everything else we know about the uh, the cavalcade of lies that we've been given, you can come to no other informed conclusion other than that this was a set-up, hack, political job from day one that never should have been approved by any court, uh, with a lick of sense or understanding of the Fourth Amendment and the Constitution.
0: Now, I saw also that there were some on some defenders of the deep state or just anti-Trumpers out there who were saying, "Oh, well, this proves that the Nunes memo was wrong." The Nunes memo from many months ago. I, I looked at this and and I read this over the weekend. I read the the 400-page report. A lot of it was redacted, which made it easier. Uh, but I remember reading through and thinking. I don't see how this – how does it disprove – I mean, what is what is the case they're even making, Sean, that because it mentioned somebody that they should have – you know, because they didn't specify Hillary Clinton here or there, but they kind of should have known that it was Hillary Clinton, that they did talk about it? I don't even understand what the case is they're trying to make about this. No, no, the case they're trying to make
6: is that Trump deserved it, and everything flows from that. The most ridiculous assertion I've seen that's so so divorced from reality is that – Oh no no no! You can't claim that they withheld the origins of the report from the FISA court because they included in a footnote a tiny note that said um, they think U.S. identified person one, who, which by the way is Glenn Simpson Fusion GPS, um, might have wanted to discredit the Trump campaign, as if somehow that encapsulates you know saying you know explicitly this was funded by a political party two and candidate two who were seeking to defeat candidate one in the election. Okay, ca- somebody it, who who wanted to discredit a campaign could be an ex-wife, could be an embittered neighbor, could be a political rival, could have been a business rival. To say that that somehow satisfied the standard of honest disclosure is offensive and nonsensical.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm amazed that people are even trying to hold this up. But I would just note that the that the the uh, privacy of all of these people. That were not Trump associates was apparently very high up on the FISA court, you know, on the minds of these FBI agents. But the privacy of Carter Page or George Papadopoulos—that doesn't matter at all. Somehow, right? Like everyone who's involved here, all the shady characters that are sicking the FBI on Carter Page. They're fine. They, they we need to make sure that their names that appear in this when when an, an eighth grader could read some of this FISA stuff and go, okay, well we're ta- we know who we're talking about here, right? Like we know which presidential presidential campaign won. We know who we're, we know who we're dealing with. So it just seems like it's there's a dishonesty at the heart of a lot of the, uh, and that's not even including the redactions. That's just the places where they you know try to hide the the specific identity of a name or an unnamed person. Right. And in, in getting into Carter Page,
6: anyone who has paid attention to him, listened to him, and also read the case against him presented in the application and uh, the dossier, the idea that this guy was somehow a secret Russian spy is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Um, and it's funny that in addition to the silly dossier nonsense and all the uh, circular, referential, self-referential corroboration of the dossier, The FBI and DOJ cited a case without telling the court what actually happened uh, that involved some corrupt Russians. And they said that Carter Page had been involved with it without telling the court that he had actually assisted the FBI in bringing those people to justice. I mean, the whole thing from beginning to end is a joke. And anyone who says otherwise is being dishonest or they're incompetent or illiterate.
0: Now... What do you think about the stripping of the, the possible stripping of clearances? I'm taking a lot of heat, Sean. I'm like, why? First of all, why is this DEFCON one for the media all of a sudden? A clearance is not a civil rights issue. It's not a constitutional issue. It's a privilege, not a right of any kind. The president's the commander in chief. He, he can strip clearances if he wants to. And when you've got people that were in the government using their high-level high access to undermine the incoming presidency, I don't think they should have clearances. That seems to make sense to me. Well, I, I think you can get broader than that. If the only reason you had a
6: clearance is because you were working in government, you don't need that clearance anymore when you leave government. I don't care if you're you're James Comey or uh, James Clapper or John Brennan. Uh, Once you're out of government, especially if you're a political appointee, especially if you're a political appointee, and you're 18 months out, there is no reason on earth why you should get to keep your security clearance. And it's rather obvious that the only reason uh, these reporters are just so up in arms about it is because as soon as these guys lose their clearances, these reporters lose their access to classified leaks.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, Sean said it, everybody, and I I think Sean's right. So there you go. Sean Davis, everybody, of The Federalist. Check out what he's written at TheFederalist.com and also all the other fine writers over there. Sean, keep owning the libs on Twitter, all right? You make me proud.
2: This administration is on a crusade against people who they do not consider original Americans. What they've done at the border uh, is an example of it, what they've done in Puerto Rico, and they are on a jihad to deport as many people as they can who they believe are not in the United States legally. And the fact is, instead of supporting our ICE officers, Many of these Democrat politicians, who are really disciples of a very low IQ person, Maxine Waters, and perhaps even worse, Nancy Pelosi, they've launched vicious smears on the brave men and women who defend our communities, ICE officers work in dangerous conditions to protect our communities. And more than a third of ICE officers happen to be veterans themselves. Thank goodness for ICE, because we have some of the worst drug dealers, terrorists, criminals and MS-13 gang members. And we're either throwing them the hell in jail or throwing them out of our country and ICE goes up there and they walk in like it's another day in the office. Thank goodness for ICE. The Democrats want to abandon ICE. They want to end ICE. ICE is tough and smart and they track them down and they stop tremendous amounts of crime. And these are great people. And they're not
0: being treated properly. So that's the president on Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, the federal agency known as ICE. You know, Democrats picked this fight. They picked this fight with regard to ICE. They were the ones who decided that they were going to make this a campaign issue for the midterms. Abolish ICE! Abolish ICE! Like They decided to do that. They did not have to do that. This was a choice that they made. And looking at this now, I I have to say that this is going to be, I, I would hope, a hindrance for them. I, I hope that this hurts them in the midterms because it should. Don't think that their propaganda has not had a a market effect, though. Their anti-ISIS agitations have resulted in people really thinking poorly of immigration and customs enforcement and what this is. And that's why Trump's so important there. You know, I, I played that Cuomo Nobody likes ice because it's very cold. You put it in your hand and it feels like, oh, no, I can't feel my fingers. Oh, wait, that is a different kind of ice. I'm the governor of New York. I should know better. Uh, But I played that where he said crusade and jihad. First of all, he's trying to be provocative with that whole thing, right? A crusade, a jihad, all of it. Is harder when it's icy outside, cause of coldness with ice. Uh, you know, the the governor was saying that the governor of New York was saying that stuff because he thinks that this is going to be good for Democrats right now. Trump though points something out that this whole abolish ICE mantra, this mania about abolishing immigration's and customs enforcement, does not take into account, or at least most people don't understand, that when they are defaming ICE and calling them uh you know tyrants and thugs and all these terrible things they're saying abolish ice it's it's, it's guilty of war crimes or inhuman not war crimes sorry inhumanitarian acts inhumane acts uh, although some have said that it is effectively like a concentration camp down there so don't don't think that there's any rhetoric that's really beyond the pale for them uh but with the decision to make abolish ICE a campaign issue. By, and remember, Democrats did this. This was all Democrats. They created this whole narrative. What they were, are going to have to live with now is that immigration and customs enforcement is, as was mentioned, a large percentage of about a third are veterans. So these Democrats are defaming and, in a sense, rhetorically spitting on veterans. They're definitely defaming and spitting on law enforcement here. And I can't help but notice that the respect that they feel, the the reverence. Oh, my gosh, the FBI is incredible, especially FBI leadership and DOJ leadership. Amazing. When it comes to the Russia collusion probe, you know, the, the FBI and the intelligence community are all of a sudden beyond criticism. By the way, for people like me that were in the intel community when there was a Republican president before And it wasn't in the interest of the mainstream media to prop up some narrative of infallibility for the intelligence community. I just I want to laugh and cry about what's going on right now. Oh, we were mocked for getting Iraq wrong. We were mocked for for black sites, for torture, not just mocked. I mean, they were talking about throwing some of us in prison for that. Black sites, torture, WMD, all these different debacles. That's all forgotten now. Now, it's how could you ever question the intelligence community's. Assessment on Russia, how dare you, sir? And Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which is also law enforcement, a law enforcement agency, that doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. That doesn't get any special consideration or protection or anything else. No, no, they, they, they think that anything that they can do to undermine it at this point is somehow justified. They think that that's uh, a fair thing, and and Trump is. The only Republican politician I know of right now, the only Republican leader, period, who is really making the case about what Democrats do want.
2: The forgotten men and women of our country are forgotten no more. The Democrats are trying to find out who are these people that came out to vote. Where did they come from? Remember that? Where did they come from? Now they know, but they're not going to the Democrats who are going so far left that nobody can believe it. They want open borders and crime's okay. We want strong borders and we want no crime. Other than that, we're very similar. Other than that, we're very similar. We also know that to be a strong nation, we have to have these strong borders. We cannot send our military to confront threats abroad only to allow those same threats to cross our borders and to threaten us right here at home.
0: Trump understands what's really going on with immigration, and he makes the case in a way that we get it. We hear it. it, it it's sensible. We know that the Democrats have been lying on this. We know that you can't trust Democrats on this issue. It couldn't be any more clear. He says it. He doesn't dance around the issue. He's not saying, oh, let's do work permits or let's find a way to increase visas. Or No, no, no. Let's deal with the fact that the Democrat Party right now doesn't want to send anyone home who's here illegally. In fact, I'm seeing people say, why do they even call them illegals? Well, because the official term is illegal alien. If people who come into the country illegally aren't going to be deported, I want to know, should we even have that law on the books? A law that is not enforced very quickly ceases to be a law. But what Democrats want for the purposes of trying to take back power so they can then win the house and then move right on to impeachment is getting their base fired up with promises of abolishing an agency that's only doing what democrats until about a minute ago were pretending they wanted to which was enforcement of immigration laws you know you need a home security system right but which one should you get a lot of them will lock you into long-term contracts the customer service is garbage and you don't even know how to use this system. It ends up getting police sent to your house because you can't type in the code. Forget all of that. Make your life as easy as possible when it comes to the best around-the-clock protection you can find. Simply Safe. Simply Safe is all about making sure that you are in charge, you are in control, your home is safe, your family is safe. And if you have any questions or any problems, they are there for you, Okay. The system is also designed so that you don't even have to notice it. It's so intuitive and easy. You can download an app. I have it at home. Once you check it out, you'll see this is the only home security system you will ever need or ever want once you check it out. Visit simplysafecom slash buck now. That's simplysafecom slash buck. Again, protect your home by visiting SimplySafe.com. Dot com slash Buck.
1: Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Russian. One, all, Make, Make
2: no mistake. America. Ready. Great. you a great American. Again.
1: This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
2: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Why is it that of all of the transgressions in our modern society that, that seem to be the most likely to be made up, there are there's a, there's a category of racist or xenophobic, uh, you know, various transgressions related to the isms, racism, sexism, etc., but particularly racism. And, and we find out that they are hoaxes. This is something that you can't help but uh, but pick up when you see enough of what's going on in the news. There's no way to avoid this. And we've got another one here, uh, another one here about a server at a steakhouse in Texas who made up the viral story about a customer, uh, a customer who, uh, who allegedly wrote we don't tip terrorist on a receipt this was in odessa texas he wrote in zero for his tip this was what the story initially said and at the top of the receipt uh decided to write that uh you know we don't tip terrorist his story this story became international okay this got international attention people all across the country were being told about this terrible situation at the saltgrass steakhouse uh of this server who has you know we don't tip terrorists and and he gave him zero and you know i would note that a lot of us read this and thought to ourselves myself myself included nah, nah i don't buy it but you're not allowed to say that oh no no not allowed to say that ever you're not allowed to suggest that maybe we before we jump to conclusions and possibly ruin someone's life, right? Once, once you've been branded a racist in the, in the kind of viral moment of the media, you're done. I mean, not only are you going to lose your job, you're going to lose your reputation and you, you may be unemployable. I mean, it's if you write don't tip terrorist on a Muslim guy's receipt at a, at a, at a restaurant, you may find yourself unemployable until you change your name. I mean, you know, this is going to have real ramifications. Uh, But a lot of us saw this and thought to ourselves, you know, that just I don't know, it just seems too. who would be so stupid as to do that. Right. Because remember, it's with a credit card, so they know who you are. You're going to take that risk in this day and age, in this media environment, Uh, putting aside whether somebody would uh, would just decide to be such a jerk because there are people who are you know look i know there are racists and bigots and all that and this is where the left always comes in and says oh racism is real i know racism is real we all know racism is real it's real around the world by the way it's real in every society in every place on the planet there is no such thing as a race-free society it does not exist in fact Uh, and when you actually go into countries that are particularly homogenous when you have a country where there's very little racial Uh, you know very little in terms of racial diversity you see that the people there can be particularly uh, uncomfortable with outsiders and those different from themselves anyway so this guy he wrote this or he claims that that the the waiter in this restaurant in texas claims that the guy wrote you know we don't tip terrorists and it was a fake It was a hoax. It was a hoax. What a surprise. A lot of us feel like this is, in fact, something that we should come to uh, expect at this point. There's a there's a lot of these, whether it's a girl in New York making up a story about two guys attacking her wearing MAGA hats while they're on the train. Um, You know, we, we see these these incidents that just sound too perfect out of the left wing playbook and you know a playbook of of victimology and we say well I just don't think I just don't think that uh, that is a likely scenario and if you suggest that if you say that you're a bad they want you to know you're a bad person you know if you say well I've got some questions can we ask for further details can we have the victim actually tell us a bit more about who who did this or, or why or what what they think really happened um then you're a bad person meanwhile this keeps happening and you know, you got to ask yourself this question. If racism in this country is really as bad as they say it is, and if anti-Muslim bigotry is as terrible as they're suggesting all the time, why do we have so many of these hoax hate crimes that come up? And why is it that after an incident, for example, of uh, jihadist terrorism, I'll see on the you know the Huffian Post, these, these sites, Vox.com and others, They'll run some statistic about a rise in hate crimes. Then I'll look and the hate crimes will include someone who allegedly said something mean to someone wearing a headscarf somewhere. Well, that's that's not exactly a five alarm fire. I mean, I I feel like that's not nice, but we could probably use more details before we go much further. Uh, That said, you do take risks now. There's no question that there have been a number of instances of people attacked for wearing uh, Trump garb, for wearing things that associate them with the Republican Party. And and what's even more astonishing, uh, well, perhaps it shouldn't be astonishing, I guess we should be at a point now where I suppose we accept this kind of behavior, not behavior, but approach from the media. They will push it aside. They'll try to do the bare minimum of coverage on it. And you can't help but get the sense that for the mainstream media, whenever somebody wearing a MAGA hat is, in fact, attacked, there is a, a sense that, you know, maybe that person had it coming. Maybe they, uh, you know, maybe they should have thought twice before they decided to show their support for this president. So th- this is when when we get into why people don't trust the media, why they think the media is dishonest uh this is one of the areas where they really do show their bias the way that different victim uh, different victims are treated uh, by different media outlets that really shows you what their political biases are and and it's something that they they can't help themselves they'll do this all the time republicans uh particularly white male christians are just not victims that the media wants to talk much about it's not something they want to spend much time on uh and and these racism hoaxes it's a version of what you see on twitter you see on twitter you'll have a a left-wing journo journalist who will write something inflammatory about president trump it'll be completely untrue but they'll write something about trump or his administration and then they will issue a correction perhaps of the tweet but they want to leave the initial tweet up usually and that's because the initial tweet got you know 30,000 retweets went viral. The correction tweet got 10 retweets. Nobody cares. So you 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 benefit from being a partisan who is dishonest. You benefit from being someone who's a political actor pretending not to be. Um and you know this is when, when I look at what's going on with the way that these different, you know, media outlets treat these Incidents of, you know, a a hate crime hoax. They just don't want to talk about it. They they don't have an interest in it. They don't have any focus on this. And, you know, you just, you know, the initial story, and this is what I mean by the, the Twitter comparison, the initial story about the incident of racism, national news, all these outlets covering it. The correction, when it's a complete and utter hoax, Okay, the employer found out that his employee made it up. That doesn't get nearly as much attention. This is all you have to see to understand the narrative formation that is at work here. And this is how the other side is, always, is, is playing the game. Uh, I want to talk to you, speaking of narrative for, formation, I want to talk to you about this shooting up in, uh, shooting up in Canada, where you know they were very quick to, uh, to tell us right away, They were very quick to tell us that this was a mental health issue. And I'm not not saying it's not. I I know I read that the guy was, you know, had a long history, had a history of mental illness. Uh, But they've immediately turned this into a gun control discussion. In a city that has very tight gun control and a country that has tight gun control, that's what they are switching to right away. I just wonder, is there anything, you know, ideologically speaking, is there anything that we need to take a look at here other than just mental illness could it be mental illness plus radicalization of some kind i want to uh, walk through that with you coming up here in in just a moment team so stay with me for that So there was a shooting that uh, did not get a whole lot of attention in uh, in Toronto. Uh, Initially, it did. To be fair. Initially, it did. And and the shooting um, was in a crowded area. I believe it was called like the Greek town or or a Greek area of Toronto. And you had uh, a lot of people were hit and. Uh, 13 wounded, two people killed, including a 10-year-old girl. So this is a a multiple-person fatality shooting with with over a dozen people who were hit by bullets. And immediately, people started to get into their position for, okay, how do we make this a political fight? What what do we do to—I'm just being honest about this. Every time there's a a mass shooting now of any kind, people try to establish— some means of using it for political gain right they're they're going to infuse it with their narrative whatever that may be however it is that they see it uh, they come together and come up with some way to attach it to their favorite uh, their favored talking point and i saw this one i thought to myself okay well what's going to happen here is it's immediately going to turn into a gun control versus terrorism struggle in the news media that's what they were going to make of it and sure enough they did Uh, But I would note that, you know, there is this period where we're all told now to wait with the motive. And sometimes you see why that's a good idea. There was a a uh, a vehicular attack in Canada that was one of these um, invol. what is it, involuntary incel, involuntary celibate, you know, maniacs who just who couldn't get any female attention. So he just ran a bunch of people down with his car uh that's yeah that was April 10th or a- in April 10 people were killed uh, that was when the driver of a rental van struck all these people on the sidewalk uh, so you know you don't always know and I'm not somebody who jumps right to the oh it's terrorism it's terrorism because sometimes it's not terrorism sometimes it's just a crazy person and sometimes it is uh some form of extremism that is not uh, jihadism or the most likely... You know, the, the most likely situation, which is given these kinds of shootings, uh, you would expect it. You would expect it to be a, a jihadist. Right. So I look at this one and sure enough, the name came out of the shooter. Twenty nine year old Toronto resident. Uh, the gunman uh, has been identified as Faisal Hussein. Now, I, I have to ask you, uh, what are we to make of. The motive here, this guy is dressed in black. He walks up to a uh, walks up to this restaurant area in a trendy neighborhood and just shoots as many people as he possibly can. Now, they are telling us that this is psychosis, uh, that that he is somebody who has a long history of mental illness. I am not denying that that is the case. He may have a lot of he, he may have a long history of mental illness, but I would just be cautious about this new trend that i'm seeing in a mass shooting that uh, perhaps involves somebody of islamic extraction that there may be a reactionary move to label these things as mental health related because then everyone feels everyone feels sympathy for the family right everyone feels like oh well, it was no one's fault. This was just a very deeply mentally ill person or not everyone feels sympathy for the for the family of the shooter. But you know what I mean? There's there's a a greater sense of this was just a terrible tragedy, severe mental illness. And that's what led this. But, you know, when you look at the the statistics, millions and millions of Americans, for example, I'm sure it's true in Canada as well, have some form of of a mental health challenge whatever it may be it's on a tremendous spectrum right and we see this from physical health too there's a huge difference between you know i have a cold and i have ebola right there's a huge spectrum of what constitutes illness and that's true of mental illness as well and i'm i'm not saying i can't diagnose this guy i don't know his history But I do sense, okay. well, here's a guy who is clearly he is he is of Islamic extraction, shoots up a bunch of people and immediately we're being told, oh, well, we don't know the motive, but he has a history of mental illness. Uh, Okay, is it so extreme that he was completely that he was uh, not of sound mind and would not be able to stand trial in a court? Or did he have a history of, you know, abusing some alcohol or drugs and some tough times and he turned to radical Islam? You know, I I just would keep an eye on this. I'm I'm not suggesting I don't know the full details here. No one does yet. More is coming out. But I sense that in an effort to always make these incidents that could involve somebody who may have been a uh, radicalized jihadist uh, to make it about mental health and guns is a much more comfortable position for a lot of people doing the reporting and everything else than to talk about Islamic radicalization. I'm just noting this. And I'm because I'm I'm wondering, I mean, what are the chances that this guy involved the mass shooting? Canada does not have a, a vast population of uh, of, you know, Muslim Canadians. It does seem like a coincidence that this guy who you may look at and say, hold on, he has an Islamic background. Was there Islamic radicalism involved here? Oh, no, no. Don't even ask that question. Let's just go right to mental health and let's throw everybody, by the way, who has any kind of a mental health issue into this position where, oh, so now that's the, you know, anytime it's a, uh, anytime there's a mass shooting in the US or in Canada, we have to have a discussion about how mental health records need to be more accessible to the authorities and mental health treatment perhaps needs to be a closer in line with law enforcement. And, you know, there's a trade off there, folks. There's a trade off that's being made. You know, when we decide that and I don't know if it's the case here, but I'm just trying to get ahead of where I think some of this may be going when we decide that somebody who may have turned to radical Islam, but has a background that has some mental health issues in it. If it's going to be just the focus on mental health. Then you can see that, oh, we're not going to talk about radicalization and what really occurs. And by the way, it's not going to be counter radicalization efforts that we focus on it's going to be well how do we have better information sharing with law enforcement personnel about you know people who have substance abuse issues people who have ptsd people who have a whole host of very common very widespread and very understandable and treatable mental health problems so there's politics about i'm not even going down the oh canada says tighter gun laws toronto has very strict gun laws but now they're saying tighter gun laws we all we all know they're going to do that no matter what but I thought it was it was just noteworthy that here every there is no talk of even the possibility of radicalization in the press. It's just, oh, he has a background with mental health issues. Let me tell you, a, a lot of jihadists have a background that you could point to and say there are mental health problems there. Uh, but that's not to say that the primary problem is mental health. The primary problem is the radicalization that they go through to become Mujahideen, to become holy warriors. Right. Maybe that has nothing to do with this. Maybe this guy didn't even pray. Maybe this guy's not even Muslim. I'm not even religious. I, I, I'm, I'm just looking at this and asking some questions and urging some caution before we accept the narrative and move on, because that's what they always want you to do with these. Even when it turns out it is radicalization, we've already moved on, right? Oh, well, it's, it's guns and mental health. Move on. Oh, it's guns and mental health. Move on. That, to me, seems a bit uh, convenient for people who are very political in how they cover these cases. All right, uh, I'll be right back.
1: He's holding the line
0: for America.
1: Buck Sexton is back.
0: How to pay for college. It's a topic that uh, a lot of folks are focused on these days because I, I think that. As we've got more and more people than ever before going off to college and we're not seeing that it is necessarily a wise decision from a uh, from a return on investment perspective, at least, you know, that the earnings are not necessarily keeping up with the expectations of a lot of people that are taking on these debt burdens. Remember, a trillion dollar, a trillion dollar student debt burden, which a student loan burden. Well, same thing. Uh, which is out there and and people are are understanding now that maybe there needs to be a a rethink of some of these policies about student loans. Well, here's at least something you got to give credit for it being thinking outside the box. Uh, The Boston uh, was Boston Herald, or Boston Boston Herald reporting that colleges are asking for a share of future salary in lieu of loans. Here's what they say. Uh, As more students balk at the debt loads they face after graduation, some colleges are offering an alternative. We'll pay your tuition if you offer us a percentage of your future salary. Norwich University announced Tuesday it will become the latest school to offer this type of contract known as an income share agreement. Norwich's program is starting out on a small scale, mainly for students who do not have access to other types of loans or who are taking longer than the traditional eight semesters to finish their degree so you know in this case they're, they're going to be paying a, a percentage of of their salary i gotta say that you know maybe this is a good idea uh, maybe it'll work better for people you know milton friedman in fact was the one who offered income share agreements back in 1955 yale university had some experiments with it back in the 70s so this is not a completely new idea Uh, But you're seeing it come back because people are realizing that, you know, the the term of the agreement and everything else can be favorable in comparison to a massive debt load with a set percentage rate on it. So they they cite someone here is paying back eight percent of his income. Well, it's less than less than agents take. I can tell you that. Uh, and, And the federal loans allow people to also, you know, you can do part federal loans and part this way. But, you know, this is a good at least this is moving in the right direction. You know, at least you've got people here who are thinking about how they're going to be able to service their debt load, how they're going to be able to uh, meet the expectations of repayment that they have set up for themselves or that they have been set up with. And, you know, that that makes things uh, I think down the line, uh, it could make things a bit easier. But I would also note that if you have to go through such extreme lengths to pay for an undergraduate program, it is worth asking a question, what I've asked here many times how valuable is that undergraduate program really you know i i can tell you this and the graduate level what you're talking about law school business school those kinds of programs people are not shy about saying if you're going to pay for it yourself if you're going to pay for it yourself you better be in a position to say that it's a, an elite school it better be an elite school because if you're going to pay for it out of pocket And it's a second or third tier institution. It's not about snobbery. It's just about the marketplace value of it. You know, you don't want to go to the worst law school in the country. Some of you are probably yelling at me. Yeah, I saw that piece on Michael Cohen, too. And they're saying it's the worst accredited law school in the United States. Do I think Cohen's a great lawyer? No. But I I thought that piece was there. There was some snobbery in that one. Uh, But there is an overall point here, which is if you're going to take out loans, you should understand that this is a product that you are buying. That these degrees, whether they're advanced degrees or an undergraduate degree, it's, it's a product. Yes, it's an education, but you're in a better position now. Anyone is in a better position now than ever before to educate himself or herself. Uh, there are more resources, more free knowledge, and more self-training than ever. And I, I do think that there's a lot of... Look, I wish I knew computer coding. I wish there were, there were a whole bunch of things that I have no background in whatsoever. I still think it's amazing. I, mean, I don't know how many of you have had this, had this experience. I think it's astonishing that we get people that graduate. They go all the way through college and have never taken a basic finance and you know financial management class. I don't mean managing the assets of you know millionaires and hanging out with Thurston Howell the Third on the yacht. I'm talking about. What should you do for your long-term financial future? How should you structure? If you're going to rent, how much of your how much of your income should you be spending on rent? If you've got a 401k, what's the proper percentage? What's a ETF? What's a, every American should actually know these things, and a lot of us and myself included have had to be self-taught with this after all that schooling. You know, I think I had the, you know, the history of ancient Rome. Three or four different times in my academic career, I think we could have taken one semester to say, hey, here's how not just you balance a checkbook, but here's how you should think about your long term finances. Here's what different careers can uh, provide you in terms of compensation, what you can do with that compensation, how you can structure your uh, your long term. You know, it's kind of like you see these commercials and they've always got these commercials where everyone looks like, oh, we're just hanging out on a beach and like we'll take care of your long term investments. All these financial management companies, they should be teaching us that stuff anyway and also some of these people that are involved in these loan share programs uh i think the schools are going to find out i think the schools are going to find out the hard way that uh, women and gender studies doesn't exactly pay well and now that they're going into business with these students they'll see that but we got roll call coming up team buck it's time for roll call all right, let's look at the latest in roll call. If you want to be a part of it, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Send me your thoughts, your ideas, your wants, your needs, all of the above. Let's get into it. Uh, Troy right, dude, OSS here, original Saturday squad. You have to go grab Marie Harf's interview last night on Martha McCallum show and see what an atrocity it was. She was actually arguing that helping the Iranian people in their plight actually helps the mullahs. It was a train wreck, and frankly, sad to see Fox News try to pass that off as credible. Then, right after her is Lindsey Graham, and watch what he says first. Uh, firsthand, Buck. It makes a great soundbite. Great for a laugh on tonight's show. Lastly, during last night's show, the radio network kept playing news updates from NBC News during the break. I'm with you uh, since the Saturday, but I have to be honest and tell you that I think your audience deserves better than having to sit and be forced to listen to such subpar media coverage during commercial breaks waiting to hear you again. We are listening to you because we don't want to have to listen to the MSM, so why is your company forcing us to? Uh, Troy, is that on the stream, do we know, or is that on your local station? Because I I have no, you know, the the local stations, because we're affiliated in over 120 markets, uh, local stations can air whatever they want to in the breaks if it's on the stream i'd have to check out and see what's going on there um, but i i can't speak intelligently to it obviously otherwise i would uh, at least i'm honest william writes buck why don't you talk about all the missing children in this country and other countries as well uh why don't you ever talk about the uh child trafficking that is running rampant please help these children well, William, I mean, I just cover what I see in the news cycle and what I think is uh, in, in any given day top of mind for folks. Uh, if there's a particular story you think I should be aware of or if there's a a, a narrative here that people need need to know, by all means, send it to me. Uh, but I, I'm not I, I just don't I'm not not covering it. I just don't know what story you want me to talk about. but I do appreciate the thought. Greg writes, hey Buck, the northern Newcastle County Republicans, The largest Republican group in the state of Delaware invites you to our Rolling on the River annual fundraiser event. Uh, If you can't make it, please feel free to donate some extra stuff you found in the process of moving. We could use it from Greg. Uh, Well, Greg, let me look into this one. And uh, if I can make it, uh, Delaware's not that far away. Sounds great. But I got to check the schedule and I will get back to you. And I'll write back to you when I'm not in the midst of a live radio show melvin what's up melvin uh it's a cool name i like the name melvin hey buck i'm at the gym listening to cnn and cooper's interpretation of the release docs is that it supports the russia investigation and they showed a cnn reporter trying to interview an angry devin nunez did you see that and what do you think shields high. uh melvin i did not see that i can't say that in any way surprises me uh, and as to uh, Nunez, I can tell you that uh, I'm supposed to be interviewing the man myself tomorrow on Rising. So I'll, I'm sure, be able to get uh, answers to questions you would actually want asked tomorrow. So you should check that out. Uh, so it's a perfect transition there. Um, next up here, uh, what's it? Trump's around tweet, maybe the greatest tweet ever. This is, oh, from Michael. He's so right to call them out in a very provocative and public way uh michael i I have no problem with him calling out the mullahs and i don't really understand why people seem to think it's such a bad idea you know i mean it's saying that they're part of the axis of evil is that any is that better than saying that what trump did i i think that people get so caught up in their trump derangement syndrome they lose they lose some context here Uh, next up is alex you mentioned a book a while back and i and i was trying to read it I can't remember the title, but I thought it was something like The Death of the Gods and was about the failure of communism. I could be way off on the name, but I was wondering if you might know what I am looking for. Well, yes, indeed. Uh, the, what you're asking about is a compendium of essays from former communists called The God That Failed. So it's a book from 1949 that has six essays that are, the, that are brought together together uh, by or that are pulled together, and it's from former uh, it's from former communists. Uh, some very prominent ones at that. And it's also a song by Metallica. Those of you who are like, exit line. That was the closest I can get to trying to do Metallica here on the show. Um, but yeah, that's The God That Failed is a song by Metallica as well. But it, I don't know about that song. I do know about the book. It is powerful, and it tells you a lot about communism and why it's so terrible and all the falsehoods and the inhumanity that is at the core of communist ideology. I highly recommend the God that failed. Uh, you will be glad. I think you can, I mean, look, I don't know if somebody owns the, if some, someone's estate is getting money from the rights to it or something, but I think you can just download a PDF of it online pretty easily. It might even be one of those things that on your Kindle, you can download for free. Like I, I downloaded, uh, recently, what was it? That was free. Uh, treasure island for free never never signed it in school felt like i should read it so it's plenty of things a lot of the penguin classics are available as free kindle downloads uh sean writes hey buck do you even lift bra so many things i'd like to comment on but so little time i like how your morning show is really rising up to its challenge crystal however seems to keep taking left jabs at you while you write the ship's course Maybe parlay with the young lass and ask her to play more by the rules. Unless banter is par for the course, you know, Sean, we're we're a we're a work in progress with rising, and uh, I I'm always trying to be constructive, and friendly and additive. That's how I approach it. And, and others, some of you have been listening to this show long enough that you know there's been an extra fire in my belly since I've been down here in the swamp. One, I think, because of my proximity to a lot of the government stuff that's going on here now, I'm right. I'm right near it. You know, I could, I could walk from where I am to the White House in five minutes. I could walk to the Capitol Building in fifteen or twenty minutes. Uh, but there's also the sense of freedom that I have when I get on the airwaves at night and get to talk to all of you. So, yes, indeed. Bill writes: Gutfeld called you Tucker. L M A O. Yes, Bill. That is a thing that happened. Gutfeld did call me Tucker once kind of by accident, and then he just leaned into it and called me Tucker again. Brittany writes, Buck, I made it to roll call a few weeks ago, and you totally made my day. I rate your opinion as highly as Russia's. Thank you for everything you do. Question, was there ever an official statement put out for why Russia invaded Crimea? Someone suggested they are trying to take back the old Soviet land, but I needed to ask you, shields high. Well, Brittany, Russia hasn't really invaded Crimea so much as they put up what people believe was a rigged referendum that allowed for a vote in the territory of Crimea, which does have some a major Russian naval base and is also very strategically important territory. Uh, but that referendum allowed the people of Crimea to uh, go back and join uh, the, well, whether it was the people or it was the Russian state, the point people say it was a rigged referendum, but it was in Crimea, and they there were inter- the international monitors and people that look at this stuff said there were irregularities and there was cheating and all kinds of stuff. Uh, Ukraine is where you've had Russian paramilitaries essentially involved in a stealth invasion, so that that's a bit uh, a little different and a, and a bit more severe to be sure. Um, and I hope that that for now at least answers the question. Craig writes good afternoon guys in response that i say good afternoon craig sean writes buck love the hillary screech what if you were to record i should be president or something like that and play it every time hrc comes up in a news story or whenever and two i live in the live free or die state new hampshire you should come to New Hampshire during presidential primary season for a remote broadcast and interview candidates. Shields, high. Well, Sean, I actually did that. Uh, I went up to New Hampshire and interviewed all but Trump and Cruz at the New Hampshire primary in the last election. Uh, I sat down with Rand Paul, uh, uh, Marco Rubio, that guy from Ohio that I do not find particularly persuasive. Uh, i forgetting the Kasich. There you go. Rhymes with basic. Uh, And, yeah, everybody else. I'm trying to remember who else was even up there for that. But I interviewed a whole bunch of them, like six or seven candidates maybe. So I guess it wasn't the full 15. I'm trying to think off the top of my head who else. There were a couple others, but I can't remember. (laughs) And that tells you a lot about the Republican field. I can't remember exactly who they were. Uh, So, yeah, Uh, I'd be happy to go back there, though, with Rising. James writes, looking good on the Greg Gutfeld show. Keep up the good work. This uh, Cortez lady will destroy New York capitalism is good we were always brought up to earn your pay and the things you buy like a car and a house this shows you work hard for your money if the liberal socialists want free things uh, how do you value the things that you have not because you did not earn it there will be no value thanks for taking your time listening to your voices here shields high from james up in new york uh well thank you very much james for writing in i do appreciate it good to hear from you All right, that's going to be it for Roll Call today. Uh, Obviously, tomorrow we'll be hanging out quite a bit more. I'm planning a very special Freedom Hut podcast this week. The plan right now, if we can make it work, is to have Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell basically come on air. So we're going to have a former Army Ranger and a former Marine just talk a lot of smack to each other, and I just get to stand there and laugh uh, while they make jokes. So that's the plan for later on this week. If you missed last week's, please do check it out. I have a fun chat with Jedediah Bila about Trump and politics and media and all kinds of stuff. Until next time, my friends, you have your orders. Shields high. Don't drink commie coffee. You want to make sure that whatever you're putting in your cup every day to get your day started or keep you going, if you're if you're a coffee guy like me, you want to make sure that you're drinking stuff that is. From veterans and all about veterans, that's Black Rifle Coffee. They've got fresh premium coffee that comes to you, by the way. If you want, every month, courtesy of a coffee club that you can join, I highly recommend. I'm a member. I highly recommend you do that. This is a company that, as you know, is formed by former special operations vets, and Black Rifle simply is the best in the business when it comes to -to roast-to-order coffee delivered right to your door, all right? You will love these guys, and you will love their coffee. I drink Black Rifle every day, and I want people listening to this show to do the same. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck.